0: So important for opening up the border and the borders, international borders and the Chinese border, and 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 uh, and so I do believe if we can show that we're back on uh, it to the world that, that we're now open because we're, we're the, many countries in the West are bad badmouthing Hong Kong everywhere. I, you know, I speak to a lot of. Uh, business associates overseas. They think, My God, what's going on to Hong Kong? In mm. Hong Kong, the system's changing and all that. So we've got to show that it's not changing. That it's only going to get better and better. And as China goes, Hong Kong goes. You know the strength of China. I do believe China will be the number one country in the world uh, instead of number two at the moment. Uh, um, you know, in the next five, ten years, and Hong Kong will move along right with that.
1: Mr. Zeman, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. That's Alan Zeman, Chairman of the Lankwai Fong Group. Pleasure. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Let's take another look at the markets for this morning before we go around um, Asia Pacific region in Australia. The ASX 200 bucking the trend really. It's up about two thirds of 1%. Uh, The Nikkei 225 in Japan is off about one and a quarter percent just half an hour after the open. The Cosby in South Korea slipping 0.9%. Does look like the Hang Seng is going to take another fall though at the open of about 200 points in just under an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do stay tuned uh, to Radio 3. Coming up after the news is Back Chats with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. The weather forecast, fine. Very hot during the day once again. Maximum temperature around 35 degrees. The very hot weather warning is in force. And the outlook is for it to be mainly fine and very hot in the next couple of days as well. Sun intervals and a few showers in the latter part of this week. The temperature right now is 30 degrees and it's 78% relative humidity.
2: Times 8.32. Here's Andy Shrowski with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. A prominent virologist has warned of threats on the horizon, saying the current COVID infection wave hasn't peaked. Professor Malik Paris from the University of Hong Kong says the highly transmissible Omicron BA.5 variant is circulating here and has led to an increased hospitalization overseas. He welcomed plans to introduce electronic wristbands for COVID patients isolating at home, saying such technological approaches could possibly be used in future if home quarantine were to replace Hotel quarantine for inbound travelers.
3: The use of uh, some of these technological approaches, I think, is uh, that makes sense in order to strengthen the home quarantine, home isolation measures, and presumably may be extended uh, also to, to returning travelers in due course.
2: President Biden has introduced the first images to be shown publicly from the James Webb Telescope, the largest and most powerful ever launched into space. The telescope's infrared capability allows it to peer through cosmic clouds and dust to detect light from the earliest stars. It's a new window into the history of our universe. And today we're going to get a glimpse of the first light to shine through that window. Light from other worlds, orbiting stars, far beyond our own light where stars were born and from where they die light from the oldest galaxies the oldest documented light in the history of the universe from over 13 billion years ago Britain's governing Conservative Party has set out the rules and timetable for the contest to replace Boris Johnson as both the party leader and the country's prime minister. In order to enter the race, each of the 11 candidates will have to be nominated by 20 Conservative lawmakers. Here's our UK correspondent, Gavin Gray.
0: They're trying to simplify the process, but more than that, they're trying to speed it up because at the moment, there are 11 leadership candidates, but here we are just quarter to midnight on Monday and basically the uh, the whole process is open to other candidates joining in uh, in the next 24-hour period. So they have to uh, uh, submit their, uh, their candidacy um, by the close of play on Tuesday in UK time. So that could mean there are actually more than 11. It is rumored that Possibly 12 or 13 might be the finishing number.
2: And the man who wrote the theme tune for the James Bond films, Monty Norman, has died. He was 94. The BBC's Vincent Dowd looks back at his career.
4: Monty Norman's writing career began in the brash world of 50s British musicals. I never had it so good since the day I was born. In his 20s, Monty Norman worked as a band singer. In 1961, he wrote a stage musical called Bell. One of the backers was film producer Cubby Broccoli, who, though the show flopped, introduced him to his producing partner, Harry Saltzman. know, and its successors were huge hits. Nothing else, he wrote, ever had the same success. But in the Bond theme, Monty Norman originated one of the classics of film music.
2: The news from RTHK.
5: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the health codes as an anti-COVID measure. Authorities are aiming to introduce a three-colour code system by adding the function to the existing Leave Home Safe app. Officials are taking reference from the systems used in mainland China and Macau, where people with uh, green QR codes are considered low-risk, and yellow or red codes are seen as at higher risk of having been infected. Real name registration will be required. The health secretary, Lo Chung Mao, has already said that from Friday, people under Home isolation orders will need to wear electronic wristbands to ensure they don't break regulations and go outside. After 9.15, we'll look at possible requirements for cyclists to wear protective helmets. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 We're joined uh, now in our studio here in Broadcasting House by Benjamin Cowling, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And also on the line, we have Wong Kam Fai, director of the Center for Innovation and Technology at the Chinese University. Uh, He's also a professor at the Department of Systems Engineering and Engineering Management. Uh, Good morning to you both. Um, Benjamin Cowling first. Uh, Is this uh, three colour code system going to be a big help in the fight to contain COVID infections?
4: I think we'd all agree that people with COVID should stay at home when they have COVID so that they reduce the chance that they spread infection to other people. And I think a lot of people will be enthusiastic about the idea of doing quarantine at home instead of in Penny's Bay. So those are the upsides. But I have to say, I got quite a few messages from my friends uh, yesterday saying they, they felt a bit disappointed uh, and they felt a bit uh, like like we were on the path back to normality and somehow this, this could be a U-turn uh, on the path back to normality. I didn't really have a, a, a good idea of how to respond to my friends mm-hmm. a, a, about that. Um, I, I think we have to be aware of unexpected consequences. So at the minute we're having up to 3,000 cases a day, that's mostly gonna go up. But this system, while it may uh, improve the, the, the compliance with isolation and with quarantine, maybe we'll end up having less reporting. So instead of 3,000 cases a day uh, with, with, I would say moderate to good compliance, uh, we would have 2,000 cases a day with enforced very good compliance, but another 1,000 cases that weren't even reported. And so that, that's, that's where we have to think about what, what's really going to be the consequence of a system like this. Mm. And of course, once the system's in place with the red, yellow uh, and green, it could in theory be used for additional reasons as well, for, for health reasons as well. Uh, for example, people under compulsory testing notices could have their color changed until mm. the PCR result comes back. And there's, there's certainly going to be technological issues with keeping this database up to date and making sure that people aren't unfairly... Uh, you know, the colour isn't unfairly changed. And one of the specific questions that I I listened very carefully yesterday to the press conference, one of the specific questions was how do people go from red back to to yellow or green again? So for isolation, Mm. we know in other parts of the world, there's very good evidence that not everybody needs to isolate for the same amount of time. So some people have COVID and are contagious for longer, and some have it very briefly and are recovered within a few days. And so in other parts of the world, maybe a year ago, they had quite clear recommendations of how long isolation should be, initially 10 days, and then it went down to five days. And then there were recommendations to use a rapid test maybe. So once your rapid test goes negative, after the fifth day, you can leave, quarant- you can leave isolation. For this system, I'm not clear how long the code will be read for, whether it goes yellow after that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it, some people will be different than others. So if it's a blanket policy, even for seven days or for, for, for longer, that would probably be too long for most people, but not long enough for some. So you, I would prefer to see actually a, a recommendation and a set of advice given rather than than a kind of you know treating people like they, they don't know what to do and they don't they're not going to do it unless you force them to do it, which, mm. which is what, what this seems right. like.
6: Mm. Um, you, you mentioned non-reporting. Do you think um, it's serious now, or oh, just- I think
4: there's very substantial under-reporting. Yeah. So my my, my estimate is probably three or four times as many infections as cases. Um, And that's what it's been like in the past. Uh, There was a time when when RAT reporting was was very, very good. And I think there there was a strong incentive to report the RAT positive and there wasn't much of a downside to reporting an RAT positive. Uh, When there was no longer any space in Penny's Bay for isolation or for quarantine, uh, and when there was no longer a threat that children would be separated from their parents and so on, I think the RAT reporting was was at a pretty high level. But now I suspect it's reverted to what it was more like earlier in terms of case finding and case reporting, where we only find uh, a fraction of all the infections every day. So there's more infections than cases. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my guess is probably three times more infections than
5: cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. uh, P- well, Professor Wong, good morning. All these
4: uh, technical
7: yes. questions. I think. Uh, uh, I, I actually work in the uh, you know IT area. I mean these these, these issues that raised uh, you know, can be overcome. And uh, currently, I don't think the government has actually given enough details on how they can be done. For example, the, the point that you raised about uh, how to change back from red to to, to, to yellow so, or, from, or from yellow to green. Uh, uh, and then uh, different kind or different places may have uh, different governance and they may treat the period differently. So I think that these are all technical issues uh, which can easily be overcome using a centralized database, using the current, what we said, the cloud system. Um, I wouldn't worry too much uh, about it. Uh, so, uh, but I, I think uh, uh, the, the kind of comments made by uh, the, uh, the the citizens or the laymen. Uh, uh, is something that what a government has to do is to do uh, enough publicity to explain uh, all these uh, queries uh, but practically I think uh, they can be overcome. But also I also want to mention that uh, this is a one step forward uh, Well, without this uh, wristband thing, without this uh, real name registration thing, uh, the thing could even go worse so uh with that sort of system in place i think it could actually uh m- make the uh the kobe protection exercise uh safer less risk uh i i would i would i would i would say that and also one of the comments that i usually make is on uh, although there are reports on uh you know number of cases you know in- increasing but I thought uh, not all cases are that serious. Uh, what we are missing is some kind of classification systems. Now we have a uh, you know we have a red, yellow, green. At least we have a three-level classifications, uh, which is much much better than the the, the dichotomous, dichotomous way of of classifying it, uh, what, which we are using now. I mean, some of these numbers they're reporting, I think many cases are, you know, with those symptoms kind of very light and they could easily be treated differently. But when people look at these high numbers, laymen looking at these high numbers get astonished, get 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 gets feared off.
6: Mm. Yeah. Um, Professor Wong, um, e- even we don't have details uh, of how Hong Kong uh, might do it, uh, what about Macau and what about mainland China? Um, you know, how do they operate the um, the red, yellow, and green uh, codes? And if you're red, um, you know, who determines when it will be green again?
7: Oh, the local, the local uh, uh, medical department or the medical, the health, uh, the medical health uh, department uh, in, in the local province. So uh, every time when you go to different provinces, that you have to change to the, their system. So basically, it's similar to what we are doing now, uh, what we have in Hong Kong is the Hong Kong system. So, uh, 24 hours before we cross the border in the future, before we cross the border, then uh, we have to upload all our vaccination records all our visiting records, and then uh, and then and then, then it will give you this uh, this this code, and then uh, if you were red, then you are not supposed to go across the border. But in any case, if you if once you have done that, you go across the border, then you will switch to the the Shenzhen system or the or the Guangdong Guangdong system, and then uh, and then they will monitor the thing for you, and uh, and and it is worth mentioning that uh, a lot of people worry about the tracking part of the thing. There's no such a thing as tracking uh, using our, our our QR code system or health code system. Uh, uh, but once you go over or across the border, then uh, you will switch to a, a, tra- a tracking system because they use their, their, uh, their, their mobile phone network in order to, to, to track you. But we don't.
6: Right. So you mean that, um, I mean, our Department of Health uh, officials will determine when, for example, a person who's red uh, will, will become green. So this is um, uh, not because there's an algorithm or, or, for example, even, you know, if I was positive a few days ago and, you know, with my rat and, and, and you know, I already, you know, I only have a one line, but I'm still a rat. So, so how, 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 how do you reconcile that?
7: Oh, uh, this, I think it will have to be, it will be left to the medical people to determine uh, from my point, of, from, from my side, the technical part of it can be overcome. So because everything, all the data, the database is actually centralized. So if they were, I, I don't know how the medical people handle that. There must be a group of medical people who actually uh, decide whether it should be uh, switched. So uh, once they make the decision, the, op- the operation side of it can be easily done. Uh, uh, I, I cannot answer that question. I think mm-hmm. I will leave it up to the medical doctor
5: to say mm-hmm. that. Actually, you, you mentioned just now uh, the uh, obligation to wear a wristbands, uh, the tracking wristbands for people uh, um, isolating at home. I mean, um, do we have the, the infrastructure and the technology to, to properly monitor people who are doing that? I mean, uh, this was tried well, early well, on in the pandemic, wasn't it? But but they wasn't totally right, successful. Right, right.
7: I mean, in fact, uh, I... I, I I happened to get involved once, uh, you know, taking these wristbands to households. I did it once. Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically uh, what you do, uh, the reason that you, you, you use the wristband band because it's easier. I mean, otherwise I could have asked someone to just use the phone and you download a, another app. But the, the problem is that there are a lot of, uh, sort of uh, not, not very technical people, you know, uh, sort of uh, technical illiterate citizens around. Uh, so they cannot use complicated APP uh, uh, uh. on your phone. So therefore, rather than doing that, you use a very simple thing, just a wristband. And what, what you do is that uh, within the house, there will be a detector. It will actually track you, make sure that you are within, around the vicinity, okay, to keep you uh, in the room or keep you in around the place. So that's the purpose of the thing. And you supposed to do that? Mm. And one of the re- I, I, I read from the newspaper that one of the reasons that the infections is spreading or been spreading around is because some vict- uh, some people, some confirmed cases who are supposed to be uh, uh, stay stay in the house, but they were they were very naughty and they just go out, you know, uh, to different places, and that's why they were spreading the, the virus. Mm.
2: So but if if you yeah. were to
7: be able to contain them in the room. Then uh, well uh, to keep them in the room, then then, uh, then you can save a lot of problems.
5: Mm. So Ben
4: Kelly, I, I would dispute that. Mm. I, I haven't seen any evidence whatsoever. That the reason we have lots of COVID in the community right now is because people who are confirmed cases under isolation orders are not complying with the isolation orders. As far as we know, there's COVID in the community, mainly from people spreading it who don't even know they've got it or who haven't tested, haven't been confirmed. There's a lot of pre-symptomatic transmission. And there's just in general, there's a lot of cases in the community. It's very difficult to stop transmission in Macau in Shanghai, if you remember there was there was there was I, I agree
2: i agree i
7: agree but but you cannot exclude those cases either i mean what what you have you have different category of cases i mean we are we are, we are attacking one at a time and that is one of the cases so you see, if you are, if you are arguing that let's leave that out i don't agree with that i mean you do anything whatever cases that could stop it spreading you do it and that's one of the cases
4: that's what i meant right but i i i think what, what we have to recognize is that There's a a lot of things that affect our daily lives. COVID is one of those things. And I think there's many people in Hong Kong who are actually not scared of COVID because it's typically a very mild infection. As as you yourself said, Dr. Wong, it's a very mild infection for most people. We've all been vaccinated because we understood that vaccination ensures that there's a high chance if we do get COVID, it's very mild. And many of us would prefer not to have lots of requirements and restrictions anymore. We put up with them in the first two years of the pandemic because we knew it was important. We didn't want to have a scenario of lots and lots of infections in Hong Kong and thousands of deaths. Unfortunately, that's now happened earlier this year we don't face the same level of risk anymore because we have such a high level of immunity. And the fact that we, we have slowly rising infections in Hong Kong, the reason it's slowly rising in Hong Kong rather than fast rising like it is elsewhere in the world is largely because of the, the high degree of immunity we've already got that most people can't get infected even if they're exposed. And so, I. I I question but, whether um, but, more stringent measures are necessary at this point in time. But then
6: a lot of people say that even if you have been infected, you can get it again. So That's right. So, so this is not immunity, right?
4: Uh, it's, it's, immu- it's, it's immunity. So, so you can have immunity against the same strain in the long term. So if you got BA2 earlier this year, it's unlikely that you could get BA2 again anytime soon, and you'll have some degree of protection against 2.2.1 and also 4.5 because they're related to PA 2 But when the next thing comes along, you'll probably be susceptible again. Like other common cold viruses, like the flu, you can get it again and again over the course of your life. And there's a scenario in Hong Kong where actually, if we're able to suppress transmission successfully over the next few months, get down to a low level when the winter comes the next variant comes into hong kong because it will later this year we'd actually have a larger epidemic with the new variant because we've all lost our immunity because covid hasn't been circulating in the meantime and there's there's a there's a lot of debate in academic circles about whether it's preferable to have smaller more manageable waves or, or or almost nothing for a period of time and then large waves uh that there's people thinking you know people look at both sides of the argument and there's other people who say we don't want any at all i mean that that's great but i think that's very idealistic to imagine that we could have a scenario with no COVID whatsoever for any sustained length of time and so i yeah I,
7: yeah. Well, yeah yeah but but, but uh, these observations are obviously correct a very scientific but, uh, what, what, we really, what we really need is a policy or a system that works that is more f- very very flexible. Very flexible. So uh, be it, you know, COVID nineteen or be COVID twenty or whatever that would be. So we must have a system. We, we understand that uh, for some, uh, de- depending on the degree of serious, no, de- de- depending on the degree of seriousness, uh, we can uh, we can have a tracking system. We can have a uh, we can contain uh the, the 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 patients, okay? Uh that's what we need. And and, and uh so from my point of view I think the, 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 the barcoding system and then the wristbands, all these technical things I think they would be useful. I mean we have to uh we have to we we do it. Okay. Uh although you mentioned about that, you know, things have been changing quite a lot. You don't know what would happen uh you know Tomorrow, for example. So, but uh, I think once you have the infrastructure ready, then you prepare yourself uh, the next time. I mean, as I always said, I think my, uh, what, 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 we, what we sometimes we keep on reporting the numbers. The numbers themselves are not very informative. What we really want to prove that our medical system, our medical infrastructure, are are strong enough to actually contain, you know, uh, COVID-19 and any similar sort of, uh, you know, uh, viruses coming in in the future.
6: Yes, Uh, Professor Wong, going back to the electronic wristbands, um, how accurate are they? For example, you know, Hong Kong is a vertical city. If I live on the 30th floor and I have a wristband and I just want to go downstairs to the podium to to the convenience store there to get something, um, I guess, you know, from the GPS, I'm still, you know, um, quite close to where my apartment is located. How, how, well, how do, I do you track know uh,
7: what the government really wanted to do, but at that time when I was involved uh, to, uh, a year back uh, for, for the first or second wave, uh, they were not even allowed to get out of the house so the system was actually uh, you have a you have a detector within the house within the vicinity of you know several meters and then uh, that's what it is all about and you're supposed to not supposed to walk out uh, if you remember uh, one of these cases? one or two one of a few cases that come out from a newspaper there was someone who was actually wearing wristbands, walking into the supermarket, and and, and the news was reporting. uh, That was one or two years back. Uh, 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 So, uh, I don't expect them to actually walk out the house, you know, having that wristband, they would be actually stay in the house. And what the government wants to do to make sure that you're really within that compartment, we're really within the house. Mm -hmm.
5: Okay, we're getting a few emails from uh, listeners now um, on the wristband issue. Uh, So, KS writes, uh, the government knows the quarantine wristband system works well as it was in use for returning travellers in 2020, as far as I remember and I was one of the users, it worked very smoothly. Let's hope they reintroduce it quickly. And uh, this one from Nigel says, uh, electronic tags do nothing to prevent multiple or large gatherings at home. Hmm. Is, there, is there any evidence that uh, people under home isolation orders have been holding parties or anything like that? Does, that, 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 that,
7: that that's the point. Hmm. That, 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 that's a good point. Yes, hmm. you hmm. cannot guarantee uh, people coming in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what, what this wristband does is actually to ensure uh, that person is within the uh, on the premises, but you cannot stop people from coming in.
5: Hmm. Um, Ben Cowling, you support the use of uh, electronic tracking wristbands? Uh, you know. oh, I, I think if we
4: had a choice between hotel quarantine on arrival in Hong Kong or having a wristband at home for seven days, I think a lot of people would prefer the wristband. Right. Um, I'm a little bit worried about how the wristband is going to be used in the future in terms of close contact quarantine. I was surprised that yesterday that the, in the press conference it was reported there's 12,000 people in quarantine. Mm. I thought it should be a lot more mm. because the way they've been doing contact tracing in the past, every case has a few contacts, a cl- at least a few close contacts. We've had, in the last week, more than 10,000 cases. So if there's 12,000 people in quarantine, that's one-to-one. That's like the husband or wife, basically. Um, There's not many other people that are presumably in quarantine. So if it's a very targeted measure like that with with a small footprint, um, I, I don't think there's, there's going to be too much opposition. So, for example, if, if, if a person's husband or wife gets COVID, that person themselves is at reasonably high risk of, of having been infected themselves. And it does make sense as a public health measure to, to have a quarantine. But whether it's voluntary or whether it's enforced by a wristband, uh, is another question. But I think we, we in general agree with the, the idea of quarantine because of the, the way that COVID spreads. But we have to be careful to recognize that I, I don't think it's feasible at this point in time to get case numbers all the way down to zero. So the best we can hope for is that we manage the level, make sure there's not too many severe cases, particularly not too many people in intensive care. And at the minute, we're, we're very low numbers. There's a handful of people in intensive care with COVID. There's a lot of people in hospital with COVID, but most of those seem to be recovering people. I saw the statistics. It's like 900-something in hospital, yeah. but only 300 mm. in isolation. Mm. That means the other 600 are not contagious, presumably recovering. The 300 that are in isolation, I suspect some of them are not actually in hospital because of COVID. They came for another three reason, maybe a surgery, tested positive, and so they need to go to isolation ward, but they're not hospitalised because of COVID. They have COVID at the point they go to hospital. Mm-hmm. So these are very low numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you track back to the to the fifth wave, it was enormous numbers of people that needed hospitalisation. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, I, I don't think there's a crisis. I, I, I,
7: I wish yeah. you were the guy who was actually reporting in the in a, in a, in a, in a press, press press conference. I mean, they would keep keep on throwing out numbers. I mean, what what you are explaining is perfect. I mean what that's what we should convince the people that oh don't think well it, it, the thing is there but everything is under control that's that's the message but what happened now when you look at the press conference everyday they only counts the numbers thousands when what the thousand means if you do not classify them i mean you just treat uh you know dichotomously and that doesn't make sense at all to me what you are saying is good it's very good is to tell people that they different severity and that therefore you know you know we are handling it well that's it
6: <coughs> so um professor wong um you know if we introduce a three color code system do could we ever get rid of it i mean there could be days when we have no covid would would this system be um eliminated or would we have it forever
7: i, I think that eventually uh, at some point that, that, that we can do it without it you know uh i think currently uh, uh the, the introduction of that uh, partly partially is because we really want to uh have the uh to go to go to to, to travel to main to, to the mainland and we are trying to adjust ourselves with the main systems, and therefore we have the three coded system.
5: Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for speaking to us on the programme this morning. Um, we're coming up to the news summary at nine o'clock. Uh, uh, that was uh, Wang Kam Fai, director of the Centre for Innovation and Technology at the Chinese University. He's also a professor in the Department of Systems Engineering and Management. Um, Benjamin Cowling's going to uh, stay with us uh, for a little while uh, after the news. And we're go- we'll continue our discussion about uh, the uh, proposed uh, health code system. Um, electronic bracelets and so on. Um, A quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, fine to date, very hot, with a top temperature of around 35 degrees, uh, light to moderate east to southeasterly winds. The outlook mainly fine and persistently hot in the next couple of days. uh, Sunny intervals and a few showers later in the week. It's currently 30 degrees, humidity 72%. Very hot weather warning is in effect.
2: You're listening to the news on RTHK.
5: And welcome back to Backchat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning on Backchat, uh, we're going to continue our discussion. We're talking about the uh, use of uh, health codes as an anti-COVID measure, with the authorities aiming to introduce a, a three-colour code system by adding the function to the existing Leave Home Safe app. Still with us, we have uh, Benjamin Cowling, the head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And joining us now also is uh, Raymond the Democratic Party's healthcare policy spokesman. Um, just before we resume our discussion with our guests, uh, a few emails here from uh, listeners. Uh, this one from Samuel says, uh, Dear Backchat, it's time to return to the norm, just like most places in the world. Everybody in Hong Kong should no longer stay in the pseudo pandemic. Having the three colour code system... Uh, Hong Kong is another step away from uh, those places. Technology is not an issue, but the rationale for harnessing the technology. If the color code system did work, what was happening in Macau and Shanghai? This one from uh, Lonzo says, uh, I read an interesting and worrying article on Bloomberg this morning regarding China's COVID policy last week in an attempt to remedy the continued relatively low vaccination rate among the country's elderly. Beijing announced China's first vaccine mandate only to revoke it two days later due to public outcry and resistance. If China is unable to ramp up vaccination rates among its vulnerable elderly groups... It is hard to see a full reopening of the Hong Kong China travel in the foreseeable future, while the ongoing recurrent lockdowns of Chinese cities and Macau could become the norm for many more months to come. Um, Ben Cowling, do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I think there's a
4: chicken and egg thing with vaccination and and, and opening up. So in in China, I, I don't think the reason they're not opening up is because of the low vaccine coverage in the elderly. I think there's many other reasons. But the reason for low vaccine coverage in the elderly could be attributed to because they're not opening up, right? Why would an old person need to get vaccinated if, in Beijing, if there 's not going to be any infections in Beijing in the next few months there 's no hurry there 's no urgency and so in, in that sense as well, a mandate is is, is in some sense unwarranted because there 's no, there's no covid in the community, and so that the vaccine doesn 't confer any benefits if that remains the case now of course, if they have a situation like we had in Hong Kong where suddenly covid 's out of control that 's a different scenario but but supposedly that that shouldn 't happen in, in the mainland they can have complete lockdowns of cities for for weeks or even months. Um, so I, that, that, that's how I would respond to that. And, and I think that the, Alonso is right that I, I don't think China's going to open up anytime soon. Uh, in Hong Kong, I, I don't think we can get to zero convincingly and sustainably uh, anytime soon. I think that that's infeasible. So in that case, I don't think there's a, there's a really much chance of having quarantine free travel for Hong Kongers into the mainland because of the risk. From the China side, a city in China, why would they accept travelers from Hong Kong with a tiny risk potentially of COVID, not not high risk necessarily, but a tiny risk, when even one infection in that city in the mainland leads to... Repeated cycles of mass testing at enormous cost, shutdown of the city for weeks or potentially even months, um, at enormous economic and social disruption. Why would they risk that so that travelers from Hong Kong could go there? What, what's, what's the upside for them? Mm. I, I don't see it. So I think it's infeasible to expect that there'll be quarantine-free travel between Hong Kong and the mainland anytime soon
6: yeah but uh, well, well, what about health codes what about the three color codes what about more pcr tests you know could more kong? things be done yeah so, that, so in there could be quarantine travel to to yeah, mainland i, I think,
4: think the government could could seriously crack down in hong kong to try to get infections down to a low level but i think it'd be very difficult to get all the way to zero and it would be very difficult to stay at zero uh the infections are coming into hong kong uh, quite often in travelers. And in some occasions they are sweating in quarantine hotels, in aircrew, in other other locations around the airport. So it's very difficult to keep the virus out of the community, even with very stringent mm. measures as we've seen in Macau, as we saw before in Shanghai. I think Shanghai are now in a lockdown again, just uh, not, not long after they ended the previous one. So for Hong Kong, I, I think there's, there's a potential, there's a, there's a way the government could be very stringent at enormous expense and enormous disruption to, to force cases down. But I, I don't think it's sustainable. And I don't think we could stay at zero, even if by some miracle we managed to get to zero. I don't think we could stay at zero daily cases. So, so
6: is it correct to say that, you know, the COVID is almost like a flu now? It well, that, that's another us?
4: issue. I mean, if, if, if we didn't have vaccines available, I think we'd be fighting much harder against COVID because it could still pose a major health threat. Now that we have high vaccine coverage, we have antiviral drugs available, which are very effective. Uh, I think we can manage COVID more like we manage other respiratory infections, including flu, which means we keep an eye on them. If the rates go up to a very high level, we do something. And in the past, you remember in Hong Kong, we've closed schools because of flu seasons at the peak. Uh, We've done other things for flu as well in the past. I think with COVID, we could look to, to live with it. And that doesn't mean lying flat. That doesn't mean doing nothing. That means keeping an eye on it, managing the situation, encouraging vaccination, considering other measures as and when necessary, but by and large, through most of the year,
5: other measures should not be necessary. Okay, well, let's bring in uh, Raymond Yoon. Good morning to you. Raymond Yoon, hello. Hello, hello. Uh, yes. can, you, can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, good, good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so what, what do you think about the, uh, uh, the introduction of the color code health system?
0: I don't think uh, the uh, health code system can help control the pandemic effectively. Uh, I would just say the argument: if it's that effective, why Macau and mainland you still have different kind of outbreaks, even need a more stringent measure like lockdown uh, for many days uh, to control the pandemic? So I don't think the helpful system works. And if you. Look into what um, Professor Lo Chong Mao said. Actually, the red is um, the red code is related to those who uh, did the PCR test. But I would say many people right now today they will just do the RAT test, and if they find um, positive, they will just stay at home and do not report at all. And another also uh, very controversial uh, stuff is about the yellow code. The yellow code, the, uh, Professor Lo just now said is. Uh, uh, related to all those inbound travelers, mm-hmm. uh, but I would say, uh, please not, uh, don't, uh, not, please don't forget that actually, currently many people uh, from, like, uh, mainland border coming to Hong Kong, they do not need any vaccination, they do not need uh, any quarantine, and I don't see them actually much safer than not having the yellow coke. So I would see, um, I, I would, I would say. Uh, the health of the implementation will create a uh, lot of problems, a uh, lot of fairness problems, a uh, lot of uh, transparency problems. And also, of course, many privacy concerns of uh, different Hong Kong people. Uh,
5: y- yeah. Uh, can you g- explain a little bit more about the privacy concerns?
0: Uh, the privacy concerns, because actually, uh, in the very beginning, when the government introduced the different safe, they emphasized that there is, uh, there is no counter-tracing, there is no uh, much private uh, privacy uh, or private information will be collected But when you see the time goes by, the the opens. Uh, first, uh, they in, 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 introduce the vaccine passport that you have to uh, go to all the uh, you have to fulfil all the vaccine requirements and insert your, your 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 personal data into the apps uh, or link in in, in order uh, to to able to access to some facilities or restaurants and then now they try to make it compulsory uh, to make the record it's a like compulsory uh, requirement for any people Mm. so it will take the uh, information of whether people um, will be infected or not or if they have other um, situation I would say like the cold contact, maybe in the future, they will say, oh, if you have cold contact or um, uh, a potential cold contact, it can be like to turn turn you into the yellow yellow coat. Mm. And the yellow coat, I I, I would say there will be a a big wrench that many people can fall into that, that category. And I think this it's not a good
5: idea. Mm. I mean, the health secretary has said uh, the purpose is not to track people, but to identify uh, individuals who, who are at high risk.
0: Uh, yes, but I, I would say the a, a current measure, like the quarantine order, already uh, served this purpose already. It's only other, um, uh, uh, other stuff to, 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 to achieve this purpose. I mm. think all public me- uh, health measures, we have to... Uh, Look at the benefits and the cost, total cost. every have to
2: give
0: them. Mm. Uh, we have to give. And I would say the cost is too much uh, for this case because the marginal benefit, I would say, is very
6: small. Okay. Um, on on the issue of uh, electronic wristbands, um, do, do you know of any cases that you know people have got COVID or they they have a quarantine order but they didn't stay at home? They walk around the community. Have you ever heard? Of uh, residents complaining to you on that, and do you think the risk ban will work?
0: Actually I'm very few but uh, I would say uh, the risk I think uh, is I would say is appropriate from the public health aspect and a lot in the living home state uh, because when, when you uh, give the risk ban for those that confirm the case, I don't think there is any uh, argument because they should stay at home or they, they should stay in the uh, isolation facilities right. And I personally do not receive uh, very much uh, complaint uh, about uh, anyone breaching the rule because actually many people do not know how others are, are doing. But I, I, I would say uh, Professor No currently suggested those who will be uh, classified as records only for those who tested through the PCR as positive. But actually, many people, they just did the RAT test and did not at all call. Till today, there are many of them because they are afraid of thanks to the quarantine facilities. Many of the people are scared about that. So I would say um, such color code, uh, health code, uh, will not be invited at all in the and, mm. and pandemic control when you compare the coffee, the Hong Kong people, or the society that have to give.
5: Uh, Okay, Uh, an email along those lines from uh, listener Anthony says, uh, uh, what incentive is there for anyone to report to the authorities that they are positive? Um, And this one from Mark says, uh, uh, sorry, uh, this one from... Uh, Nick says, uh, could you please clarify what will trigger a health code to change to yellow or red and what happens to you, uh, the consequences if it changes um, I think from what we were discussing before we're not entirely sure and we're, we're awaiting further details, is, is that your understanding uh, Ben Cowley yeah, So red was for people under quarantine
4: orders yeah. and yellow is for people who have maybe completed part of their quarantine but coming out of the quarantine, maybe it's one week red one week yellow, um, But uh, maybe there'll be other ways that the red and yellow will be used in the future. Uh, We'll have to see. Because I think once the system's there, there, there'll potentially be a lot of interest in finding other ways to use it, uh, as we've seen in in, in the mainland of Macau, actually.
6: So so you think the yellow coat will be problematic? For example, if I have a yellow, it means that I can't go into a restaurant, I can't... Um you know, enter shopping malls is will have a- to see
4: what, what, what happens with the use of the, the yellow in particular. And remember that people under quarantine orders mostly do not have COVID. Okay? So so the percentage of people who have a quarantine order who actually have COVID is, is a small percentage, maybe five percent or less. So that means a lot of people's movement is being restricted. Maybe they can't go to restaurants and it's for the in the theory for the greater good, because one out of every twenty might might have COVID and, and not realize it. But there's other ways to to encourage Good behaviour and to reduce transmission. For example, asking people who are in quarantine to, to do rapid test every day, uh, and and if it's positive, to report it. But uh, th- at the moment, it seems like there's a lot of disincentives to reporting and not a lot of incentives to to uh, to, to reporting and to to complying. And, and uh, it, it, in general, my, my personal principle is I prefer to advise people and recommend people what to do rather than trying to strong arm them and force them to to do things because I. I think, as I said earlier, for, for, for the duration of these codes, uh, it's not clear to me how, how people are going to turn back from red if, if their are cases or, yep. or, or you know, what, what's going to happen in the future with this kind of system. Mm,
6: right. yeah. It seems mm. to me that we're doing a lot to, uh, to make sure that there, there are not that many imported cases, but we're not doing enough to um, encourage people to report, let's say they are red positive, Because of all these, all these issues. But if you come back from overseas, uh, you have to go do a PCR test now, like uh, two times after mm. the seven day quarantine. Uh, Very stringent measures.
4: Yeah, actually, I don't think those PCR tests after, after exiting quarantine are actually necessary. I think those could be be, be dropped anytime soon. Um, as for, for the, the difference in stringency, I think in, in terms of imported cases, we have a lot detected every day in hotels. And as, as my research has shown, from time to time, there's a transmission event in a hotel which leaks into the community. So So imported cases will continue occurring. We'll continue spreading into the community from time to time, but not very often because of the limited numbers of people that are arriving. Obviously, if we change the on-arrival quarantine to another system, maybe a shorter quarantine or or home quarantine, there'll be a lot more importations of infection. But in terms of encouraging people in the community to report... Yesterday, uh, Professor C.M. Lowe said that it was illegal if you tested RAT positive, it was illegal not to report that to the government. I didn't know there was a law. Um, I'm not sure if he he misspoke, or if there's a law in the works. I don't know. But that would be a, something quite difficult to enforce. And that would even push people not to use an RAT if you're saying that you, once it's positive, once there's two lines, you've, you, 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 it's mandatory to report it. And I, I feel like we should be encouraging people to test and incentivising testing rather than somehow disincentivising testing.
5: Mm-hmm. R- uh, Raymond Yoon, how could we uh, encourage and incentivize people to get tested, test themselves?
0: I would say we last... So, uh, uh, we left all, uh, much of the, uh, social distancing measure, especially for those who may penalize, uh, the people. Because uh, people have this disincentive to report that because they are afraid of, um, different uh, potential consequences, like penalties, mm. like quarantine, or, all, all those stuff. So, um, I would say uh, such a measure actually discourage people to, to report at all. And I, for, for most of the cases uh, on some uh, uh, social distancing measures, I do think we have much room uh, to, to relax that. May, may some some believe that, but I, I do believe that some uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, measures we, we can relax. Hmm. But um, do, do, uh, do you yeah.
6: think that you know people are still worried about being sent to penny Spain? You know, that was like six months ago, and people don't report because of that. Is um, that is that is still really the case?
0: Crucial, cru- this is a really uh, crucial disincentive Many people are worried uh, about that uh, because of they are worried to, to be sent to the candidate. Uh, so um, I would say uh, if the government allow people to choose home quarantine, I do think the report rate will be uh, better. And uh, for the vaccination passport, uh, the current re- uh, requirement is like, well, you have to have all three jobs in order to to, to, to stand in a restaurant or any public space. And oh. I would say free Japanese is a lot of message to this. So we, 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 we left that to a tool or even less and, uh, for recovery call. And this can um, encourage people to report as mm-hmm.
5: well. Mm-hmm. OK, well, thanks very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, Raymond Yoon there is the Democratic Party's healthcare policy spokesman. Um, um, ben Cowling, Just uh, can you just ask you to respond to what he was just saying about the, about the number of... Uh, The number of... uh uh, jabs we should have had uh i mean like, well, I think, like three uh, it's still the t- three it, in the other target parts of the world older,
4: yeah. vaccine yeah. passports have been implemented in order to get vaccine coverage vaccine uptake to a high level once the vaccine uptake reaches the target level there's no further need for the vaccine pass mm. but in hong kong there's a slightly different concept of uh which, which was in uh, reported in the south China one post a, f- a few months ago when i commented on this uh, that the response from the government was that if some people only got vaccinated to comply with the vaccine pass it wasn't fair to relax the vaccine pass because those people would feel cheated because they only got vaccinated to comply with the vaccine pass. I don't agree with that logic. I think if the... If the aims of the vaccine passport energy, which in adults between the age of 18 and 60, I think it clearly has the vaccine uptake is extremely high. I think it, it, there's no further need for it. It's done its job. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of vaccine passports in general, um, but I think for for the age group 18 to 60, it's done its job. For older people, there's still a, a lack of coverage of, of third doses, particularly. Um, but there's, there's other ways to encourage vaccine uptake as well, not only by forcing people. We can have incentives for vaccination. We can have encouragements for vaccination. So I, I, I would prefer to see a change in direction on, on vaccine passports. Yes.
5: OK. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us uh, on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, that was uh, um, Benjamin Cowling, the head of the Division of uh, Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, before nine o'clock, uh, we also heard from uh, Professor Wong Kam Fai, who's the director of the Centre for Innovation and Technology at the Chinese University. And uh, for the last uh, ten minutes or so of this morning's programme, we're going to be turning our attention to a second topic, and that is that the, the administration is considering requiring cyclists to wear protective helmets, um, citing an increase in traffic... traffic uh, accidents involving uh, bicycles. Uh, We're joined uh, on the line by uh, Chan Ka Leung, who's a member and spokesperson for the Hong Kong Cycling Alliance. Uh, Good morning to you. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Thanks very much uh, for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Yeah. So what do you think about this proposal of uh, requiring uh, cyclists to wear protective helmets?
3: I think uh, it is uh, one of the examples of uh, doing harm with good intentions. and uh, I think it is one of the major fallbacks in policy in uh, promoting cycling.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, 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 sorry, yeah, doing harm with good intentions. Uh, uh, what what uh, what harm is it likely to cause? Because
3: uh, one of the uh, drawback of the legisl- legislation is that uh, helmet wearing uh, is. Uh, not very effective in preventing the injury. It is still debatable. And uh, the other reason uh, drawback is, uh, is that it will reduce ridership. And in reducing ridership, it will uh, uh, having the net effect of uh, decreasing the public health uh, of the community. Because you know, uh, cycling is very uh, beneficial to the. Health of the individual and also
5: uh, in the
3: broader term of the public health. Uh, if you are uh, uh, mandatory uh, uh, install the mandatory helmet law, it will project a, a image of cycling is very dangerous. And then, if you uh, charge, if you find the the, the people who, who ride without a helmet, it will drastically reduce the the people's incentive to ride. And then, uh, overall health will decrease and then the next benefit what you want to gain is actually decrease so uh, people are getting uh, more disease like the heart disease and the other Oh, yeah two, but
6: um uh, yeah. Cheng going back to yeah. the number of accidents um, I, I think you know the figures uh, we yeah. have had uh, more accidents relating to cycling uh, which is really unfortunate um, almost yeah. three thousand cases last year now do you think um, uh, I think if you know the figures you know how the, how these accidents happen do you think wearing a helmet would help uh, so that there are not so many fatalities?
3: Yeah, the reason given by the government is that uh, there's a recent surge in uh, accident, num- accident numbers. I think one of the reasons, as they also stated in their paper, is the uh, more uptake in the past few years of cycling. So, you, more people riding, then you have more uh, accidents. It's just as simple as that. Mm. My... Um, Making the uh, helmet mandatory, it will do nothing better because it mm-hmm. will actually decrease the ridership and then people, is not getting safer.
5: Mm-hmm. I, I, we have a caller on the line. Um, hello, would you just like to yes. say, say your name please and then go ahead?
8: Yes, it's Mrs. Stora. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm calling is I, I live in Clearwater Bay and I drive at night. And quite often I see cyclists on the road with uh, dark clothing, no visibility whatsoever. And they're supposed to have lights on their right, on their bikes, front and back. And quite often the lights are there, but they're not working. And they are wearing dark, very dark clothing. In particular, this one young man is uh, constantly cycling down Clearwater Bay Road, especially uh, the hill, Uh, past Los Bernados, he's very slim, wearing all black and at night. And uh, one time I nearly hit him because he was just so far out in the road and you couldn't see him. So why is it that they are allowed to wear these dark, dark clothing at night and why is it that they are not pulled over uh, because they are not displaying their lights? Uh, It's a bit pointless to say we have to use a, a, a helmet when you can't see the cyclist at all at night. It's their life that they are putting in danger, but they are also damaging the life of somebody who may accidentally hit that person. And, and it's their responsibility to make themselves visible. So if they can't make themselves visible responsibly, then it is up to the government and to, and to the cycling association to mandate that they wear visible, reflective garments at all times and that they must mm-hmm. maintain their bike.
5: That's a fast and busy road as well there, Clearwater Bay is. Road, isn't it? It's a yeah. very
8: frightening road yeah. And, yeah. and he drives all the way through to Cycle. Well, we do know that even in the daytime you can get a, a very professional uh, cyclist who rode all around the world, was killed in Clearwater in, uh, in uh, Haven by a, a a uh, fire truck and he was a very professional rider who rode all around the world. He always wore very visible clothing in the daytime and he was very responsible. So he's a very responsible person using all of the equipment that is mandated, still can get killed. Then why is it that these people take their lives so so blasé and just ride around at night with barely anything
5: that you can see them. Yeah, tragic, tragic uh, uh, incident. Uh, but th- th- uh, th- uh, thanks very much for your call, uh, there, um, uh, uh, Chan Kar Leung, uh, So you're not in favour of um, of uh, mandatory uh, uh, man- mandatory helmets or protective headgear. But what about that point that the, the caller was making just there about uh, about visible mm. uh, visible clothing and and, 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 and lights right and lights gear. and having the right yeah. lights and so on
6: yeah the yeah, night gear um, is actually very important yeah. i think transport department has some um, uh, measures uh, on that right
3: yeah uh if you apply this uh to the uh, cyclists why not apply it to the pedestrian and why not require the pedestrian to wear reflective clothing at night
5: i suppose the same logic right i suppose you could so, say that pedestrian, uh, we, we pedestrians are on the sidewalk they're not sharing the road with vehicles
3: yeah, so we should encourage people, not mandating them to do things, uh, because you we have to distinguish between the personal benefit and the policy in uh, and the legislation. Mm. It so, it is two different things. We we should encourage like like what have we have been always doing uh, by the government. We encourage people to wear helmets. We encourage them to to use uh, reflective cycling if needed. Uh, clothing is needed, uh, but legislation has a effect of drastic reducing the ride riding, hmm. and in general time it will decrease the, uh, increase the uh, health with
5: Why would Actually. it? So why would it drastically reduce uh, the the level of riding? I mean, because people wouldn't want to wear it, or they wouldn't want to have to pay for a helmet, or or, or what? Yeah,
3: yeah, you have mentioned it. Uh, in, we can reference the experience of uh, one of the famous example is the Australia. They have uh, this legislation about thirty years ago, and then if they 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 actually recorded a drastic uh, reduction in the taking up the ridership, mm-hmm. and some people said that in general it will reduce uh, thirty up to thirty percent of
5: or cycling. OK. All right. Well, we'll have to see what happens with this, uh, but we've got to call it a day now because uh, uh, it's 9.30. We've come to the end of the programme. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Chen Karlung leung there, uh, member and uh, a spokesman for the Hong Kong Cycling Alliance. Uh, thank you to everybody who wrote in. Thanks to our listeners. Uh, thanks very much to you, Ada. Uh, thank you, Jim. And thanks to our producer, Yuki. Um, Janice Wong will be uh, in the chair tomorrow. A quick look at the weather before we go to the new summer in morning brew. Uh,